With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now for all the latest on everything happening in Florida politics, let's bring in Peter Shorsch, the publisher of Florida politics. You can find his work and his team's reporting and sign up for the Sunburn newsletter so you get it all in your inbox first thing every morning at floridapolitics.com. So, Peter, let's start with the latest on the legislative session. What are some of the things that you've seen over the course of the past week that have stood out to you? Well, it's uh, it's day 50, basically, which means that uh, it's the last of the committee meetings. Uh, if bills haven't been heard, they're basically dead. There's ways uh, around uh, there's ways around that. But, um, you know, this is when you start to see all of us in the process start saying bills are dying. Bills are dying um, significantly. Uh, the defamation bill, which has been talked about a lot in conservative media, sponsored by Alex Andrade, is going to lower the standard for libel. Um, and this had really made the rounds. Libs of TikTok was talking about it. Like I said, Stephen Miller, uh, it was showing up everywhere. Um, the Senate said not only has it not passed the House, but even if it came over, we don't have time to hear it. So that bill is as dead as it gets in the process right now. So that one, a big ticket item off the board. Second one, and this is a really big one. This has got some like interesting national uh, connections to it is the so-called personhood bill, which would have made it easier for someone to sue uh, related to an abortion, and it would have basically declared uh, a fetus. It would have given them some uh, people in court some uh, standing that they would be able to sue for damages. That bill looks like it's dead. Uh, It's not as dead as other things. I hate even using that word connected to that issue, but uh, this is a significant issue with the IVF issue bouncing around in Republican, uh, Republican issues. I think I haven't heard it, but I think that that may have been part of the rationale here is like that the legislature just didn't want to get close to that after all the controversy in Alabama. And then the Republicans having to react to that nationally, that they're not against IVF, et cetera. So the personhood bill, which had picked up a lot of coverage, that also uh, seems to be at the end of its uh, legislative journey. So those are two big tickets off the board. The other thing that kind of is that is starting now is the budget process budget what we call the allocations. This is when legislative leaders get together and they say, hey, we're going to put 30-something billion dollars into schools or $25 billion into prisons, et cetera, whatever the number is. They've agreed on the big ticket, the overall number. Now budget conferees get together and kind of hash out, um, you know, the specific appropriations. So we'll be into budget, uh, budget, the budget process over the next week. Everything looks like we're set to end on day 60 next Friday, but as soon as I say that, something uh, you know something could happen to gum that up. We're joined by the publisher of Florida Politics, Peter Shorsch, talking about the current legislative session. I want to go back to that defamation bill for a moment. We really haven't covered it at all here on this show because when I saw the conservative pushback to it, I figured, that, well, this isn't going to go anywhere. And uh, it looks like it's not going to. But just give us uh, an overview as to, you alluded to it, but a little bit more detail on what that bill was aiming to do that led the the Stephen Millers of the world, like you mentioned, to say this is a horrible bill, uh, let alone, you know, people in the middle, Democrats uh, being against it, too. 
Well, it, it's based on the landmark case of New York v. Sullivan, which uh, set up protections for news organizations and established a certain standard, uh, a higher standard for defamation when it's a public figure. So if you're, you know, if you're out there, you're Taylor Swift, and we say something about you, you have an expectation almost that as a public figure, you're going to endure some of that stuff. Right. And contrary to that, private citizens have not a, necessarily a right to privacy, but they, they can't be dragged through the mud as much. Uh, this bill would have lowered the standard on public figures, namely elected officials, so that if you said things about them, um, it would have made it been easier for them to bring uh, a libel case against you. Then it also did another weird, it had a weird aspect about uh, using anonymous sources. Yeah. So a lot of times when you have a public figure, you say, hey, according to two uh, sources in law enforcement, uh, elected official X is going to be indicted on bribery. Um, in a in a court case, it would then be established that those anonymous sources would have to be viewed as lying uh, and in a, in a default insane. position. Right. Which it would, like, think about this. The entire Watergate situation was basically built on anonymous sourcing. And so anonymous sources it, are used it, on both sides all the time. I mean, now right. look, sometimes the anonymous sources get it wrong and they burn the reporter. And that's a bad look for that reporter and that news organization. But this idea that, you know, one side is using anonymous sources. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just now, And no reporter wants to be wrong. No. And so this was just a very mean spirited bill. Basically, in my opinion, it was, you know, a couple of elected officials who had been beat up by their local news organizations. Yeah. Not always doing the best thing, uh, wanted to figure out a way to kind of, um, you know, kind of scare local news organizations because then all you have to do is sue them and kind of shut them up. But how, how many of those lawsuits can they endure? How many, exactly. you know, letters can they blast off from their attorneys, et cetera? When we talk about the budget, you mentioned the House and the Senate reaching uh, some top line budget numbers. You know, in years past, in recent years, leadership has come from the Tampa Bay area. Uh, not the case this time around. Is that going to impact how much money is allocated to our region? Yeah, of course. It's, um, you know, we talk about a, a term called sprinkle. We'll talk about that next um, next week, I'm sure. And it's basically... Um, when legislative leaders at the end on projects that they don't get funded in the budgeting process, they just go in as the speaker and the Senate president and kind of insert those. And those numbers have grown significantly into the hundreds of millions of dollars. It'll be you know, $20 million for this business school there, uh, you know, $10 million for that oceanography Institute over there. And so when the house speaker is from Jacksonville, Senate president is from Southwest Florida, you know, there really is, you know, the appropriation chairman, uh, are not they're both from northwest florida so this is kind of um this is our kind of odd year out we had done pretty well usf had done really well some of our local transportation projects have done really well there's enough money to go around uh, but not having th those senior people in leadership you know probably runs it, it's probably a difference of several hundred millions of dollars in uh in special projects uh, when you don't have somebody up in that you know in one of those top four or five positions we're joined by the publisher of Florida Politics, Peter Schorsch. Final thing I want to touch on, the dynamic between Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump. While DeSantis has endorsed Trump and gotten out of the race, still seems to be a lot of tension between both sides with some shots being taken recently from the governor and then some return fire from the Trump campaign. What's going on there? I mean, the biggest critic of Donald Trump is Joe Biden. 
And I'd say the second biggest critic is Nikki Haley. But I think the third biggest critic right now seems to be Ron DeSantis. Um, and he just keeps poking the bear. And, you know, I talked to people about it today inside of DeSantis world, outside of DeSantis world, inside of Trump world. And they nobody gets it. Like, they just don't get um, why he is doing this. Uh, I, I do like, uh, I think I saw some reporting that said it's almost cathartic for him right now to be getting off. Uh, some of these issues, I still think there is a 10%. I think that there's a hundred percent chance that they, that Ron DeSantis thinks that there is a 10% chance that somehow um, Donald Trump is not going to be the eventual nominee. And like, he wants to present himself uh, as the likely alternative. He would never say that. Um, but I just feel like he is presenting himself as that. And he's continuing to posture as a presidential candidate already saying he's going to run for 2028. Etc. And again, you know, Trump reads this stuff, and it's just like I think I thought Trump kind of gave DeSantis a little bit of an open door last week when he said he was on the VP shortlist. Mm -hmm. I thought DeSantis could have taken that and said, "Hey, that's I really appreciate the consideration, but I want to govern Florida." Instead, DeSantis just shut it down automatically. And I'm telling you, you know, Trump sees that, and I just feel like he is just gonna. He's going to continue. What did they say? They want to make him a political eunuch. I feel like that is the path that Ron DeSantis is uh, is set on at this point. Uh, the publisher of Florida Politics, Peter Shorsh. Again, you can find all of his work and all of his team supporting and sign up for the Sunburn newsletter. So you get it all right in your inbox every morning. First thing, floridapolitics.com is the website. Peter, really appreciate the update. We'll talk to you next week. Ryan, thank you. Take care. So yesterday, the Supreme Court heard two cases about the regulation of social media, with one of them being a law passed here in Florida back in 2021. For more on the argument made before the Supreme Court and for some analysis of the potential First Amendment issues tied to another Florida bill, the social media ban for minors, let me bring in our next guest. We're joined now by Dr. Clay Calvert, Professor Emeritus at the University of Florida. He's the former director of the First Amendment Project and a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Dr. Calvert, thanks so much for coming on the show. And let's start with the case before the Supreme Court yesterday. Give us an overview of the laws in question and both sides of the debate. Sure. So the case is called Moody versus NetChoice. And NetChoice is a trade association uh, for most of the social media platforms out there. Uh, the case involves Florida's efforts to regulate what we would consider to be the content moderation practices of social media. In other words, what speech can appear on a social media platform, uh, where that speech appears on a platform. In other words, how it's organized, how it's arranged. Uh, and then basically terms of use and service in terms of acceptable content. Uh, when can a social media platform jettison a user for violating uh, terms regarding what's acceptable or not acceptable? Uh, so the Florida statute was passed in the aftermath of former President Donald Trump being deplatformed by both Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and so one of the things the Florida statute does as far as candidates for political office from being deplatformed, and by that I mean being kicked off, right? Of a, of a of a of a network or platform such as X uh, or Facebook or YouTube, even if you've got a channel on YouTube. Uh, another aspect then is that uh, the platforms cannot engage in certain activities about uh, how they prioritize speech, how they arrange it, and where it appears. So, what the platforms are arguing is that this violates their First Amendment rights of free speech, their ability to exercise editorial control and discretion, 
over the speech that they host and to enforce their own terms of service and terms of use uh, about what speech is or is not acceptable. Florida, on the other hand, is arguing social media platforms are powerful. They should be treated like common carriers, a common carrier being something like a, a telephone company, Verizon, for instance, uh, or a telegraph company, or a common carrier being something that simply moves content from point A to B like UPS or FedEx. They move speech around. Uh, in other words, what Florida is saying that uh, common carriers cannot engage in discrimination against speech. They have to host it all, uh, and they can't have any bias against the speech that they host it and move it around and, as they would like. So you essentially have both sides. You have the state of Florida, and then you have the social media companies arguing their free speech rights being violated just in different ways. No, that's a, that's a really good point. So, so right, the social media platforms are saying, the First Amendment protects us against government censorship. In Florida, you're censoring our ability and dictating to us about the content, the speech that we must host and how we must host, host it. Florida, on the other hand, is saying we're actually helping out the citizens of Florida by requiring platforms to host certain content. So in other words, the citizens of Florida now have a right to receive the views of candidates who they might be deplatformed otherwise. So in a way, yes, one can look at it as competing free speech interests. And certainly that's what Florida is saying, that we're trying to help out the marketplace of ideas by mandating that social media platforms cannot uh, jettison users in certain speech. So final question for you on this case, what comes next? Now we wait for the Supreme Court to decide in a couple of months. Sure, yes. So the Supreme Court usually holds in abeyance the really big decisions, and this being a really big one, until the end of its term, which is June so we'll probably have three or four months here. Uh, one thing that came up, which was interesting, was not on the First Amendment side, but whether there's actually enough factual record uh, for the justices to render uh, a full decision here. So one thing that might actually happen is that the Supreme Court issues a very narrow ruling and sends the cases back down to flesh out a greater factual record. Uh, today it came up. To what types of platforms uh, does the Florida statute really apply? Uh, does it apply to what we think of as traditional, uh, you know, prototypical social media platforms like X, uh, Facebook, YouTube? Uh, that's agreed upon. But what about other things like Etsy? That came up. So maybe one thing that will happen is the Supreme Court will issue a very narrow ruling here, send the case back down to the lower courts, and try to develop a factual record about what specifically the Florida statute applies to in terms of social media platforms and that wouldn't be unusual for this court which seems to try to issue very narrow rulings whenever possible especially on some of these more politically charged issues we're joined right now by dr clay calvert professor emeritus at the university of florida former director of the first amendment project and non-resident senior fellow at the american enterprise institute the next issue i want to ask you about is Florida's proposed social media ban for minors. This is a bill that passed through the House and the Senate. It's awaiting a decision by Governor DeSantis. And this is one where I certainly see some potential First Amendment issues. I'm curious to get your take on this bill. Sure. I mean, there are huge problems here. Uh, this is really an overreaction to alleged problems with social media platforms in terms of how they might harm my minors, or at least some minors to use them. Uh, in a way, it's like throwing uh, out the baby with a bathwater uh, is what we're doing here because it bans uh, anyone under the age of 16, so if you're 15 and under, from holding a social media account. 
social media platforms have a lot of benefits for minors. Uh, they can meet people, they can converse with them, their own age, they can form communities. Uh, so, and they can also engage in self-expression. So essentially by banning all access uh, to social media platforms, if you're under the age of 16, this goes far too far. It's really what we would call overbroad. Uh, if you're going to have a statute that passes First Amendment muster, it has to be narrowly tailored. Uh, and the court has made clear a number of cases that minors actually do have free speech rights. Uh, they may not be coextensive with those of adults, but they do possess First Amendment rights of free speech. And in this case, you know, a right to speak to others uh, on social media platforms. So this is simply far too broad. Uh, and I think uh, Governor DeSantis would be wise to uh, be it. That was actually what I wanted to follow up and ask you about, because we've spent a lot of time here on this show talking about this social media ban for minors and how it seems to fly in the face of the parental rights movement here in the state of Florida. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the First Amendment aspect to this. So what are the First Amendment rights for minors and what's the past precedent there? Sure. So for the minors. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, in a case in, in 2011 called Brown versus Entertainment Merchants Association, the Brown being former California Governor Jerry Brown, uh, struck down a law, uh, that banned the sale or rental to minors of violent video games unless the minors had, uh, the consent, uh, of a parent, uh, or some relative to do that. And the court made it very clear in that case that minors do have a right to receive seats, in that case, to play video games. Uh, so the court has has made that fairly clear. Uh, the Florida statute may be well-intended in terms of helping parents out, given uh, all the time that minors generally spend on social media platforms. But I think that raises a larger question. Who really ultimately has responsibility uh, here? Uh, is it the government's responsibility to cut off all access uh, for minors to social media platforms? Uh, what's the responsibility of parents here? And then also about schools, actually, we might think about they might have social uh, media literacy courses uh, in education uh, where they teach minors about, uh, you know, this type of use is too much. Uh, you probably don't want to view this type of content. That type of thing might also come into play here. So who do we really want to make the decisions in the state of Florida for us? Uh, do we want parents to make those decisions? Uh, do we want minors to make them? Uh, and can schools have some role to play uh, in education uh, in terms of proper, or we might not really proper, but uh, social media use that might not be harmful? Dr. Clay Calvert, professor emeritus at the University of Florida, former director of the First Amendment Project and non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. You can follow him on X at P-R-O-F, Clay Calvert. For more, Dr. Calvert, really appreciate the time and insight. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. The Ryan Gorman Show, 5 to 9, every weekday morning on News Radio WFLA. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.